and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan across from me, as always. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to that regularly, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple and Spotify. And rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Because if you do subscribe, you won't miss any of the episodes when we drop them on Mondays. And speaking of Mondays, it is one right now as we speak. And we are live streaming live on YouTube. This very show, you can come in and participate just by subscribing to the YouTube channel and then tuning in. Drop us a comment, say what's up, ask a question, come hang out and just be a lurker. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you do. Just watch the show. Maybe share the show. Tell your friends about it. Tell your is is your wife a big Tennessee fan? Tell her about it. If your dad is, tell him about it. If your dog is, tell him about it. I don't know. Whoever will listen. Otherwise, at Charlie underscore Burroughs, at Zach TNT, at ADZ Sports, Facebook.com slash ADZ Sports National, and ADZ Sports.com for everything Zach and I write on the old internet. <clears throat> well, Zach. I'm sad to say this is a tough announcement. Um, this is going to be my last episode of the show. Um, I am done because I have become so famous that uh, I I just I think I've outgrown the show. Frankly, um, over the weekend I had a tweet get forty five thousand likes, and I that's it. I think that it's vaulted me to a level of fame. Um, where I think I'm, I'm done here. I'll be starting my own network. Um, <laughs> ah, what's up, Zach? How you doing, dude? Yeah, I, I don't know what to do here. In the, I guess I've been in the presence of greatness unknowingly all this time, and then I see this tweet just blow up and and continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, yeah, that, that's great. But I think the best part of it is just all the Alabama fans in your mentions. If you uh, oh. go, ahead, I guess explain that tweet if people missed it. I don't know how they missed it. I mean, it says it's reached like six million people, which is like more than some entire states. That's wild. <laughs> Nugs, he said, "I told you, superstar Charlie Burris. You called it. You called it, Nugs." <laughs> he did. Uh, I do feel like a superstar. I mean, ultimately, it was a stupid throwaway tweet. I just saw that somebody said that Jalen Hurts is the first Alabama quarterback since, was it 1983, to win an NFL playoff game. And I went, huh? NFL quarterback? Because last time I checked, Jalen Hurts was drafted out of Oklahoma. Or sorry, Alabama quarterback. Because last time I checked, he came from Oklahoma, not Alabama. Now he played at Alabama for three years and... You know, the Alabama fans, they told me all about that on the tweet. But all I said was, uh, Bama benched this dude and he went to Oklahoma and they're trying to retro retroactively claim him now that he's winning in the NFL. And that got 43,000 likes and 10 million comments from Bama fans. They were so mad. Uh, and it was absolutely hilarious. Um, uh, I laughed the entire time. They were like, he was an Alabama for three years. And, he did and see, the thing, Alabama fans, if you happen to watch this, is that I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what Jalen Hurts did or who he claims or anything like that. <laughs> like, at all. Uh, 
I just think it's funny that you're mad. All right, so there's my address of that right up top. Today on the show, we are going to talk about uh, the transfer portal for Tennessee. The portal is closed since the last time we did this show. We're going to review who's in, who left, uh, kind of assess that situation. Will Tennessee pick up anybody else? Because, yes, the transfer portal is closed, but that just means guys can't go in until another certain date. Uh, Tennessee could still pick somebody up who is still currently in the portal. We're going to talk about if there's any potential there. And then uh, basketball, back in the top five, going to discuss that. The Lady Vols, 7-0, and playing UConn this week. Might mention that a little bit. And uh, otherwise, we do have to – this feels like this is a recurring – we just need to have a Nico segment on the show that we need to get it sponsored. Can we get a Nico segment sponsored somehow? We're going to talk about Nico. He played the Polynesian Bowl over the weekend, and he won MVP. So – that's going to be the show. Uh, but before we get into that, as always, I got to tell you about the incredible sponsor that keeps this show afloat. Uh, and that would be Superbook Sports. Can you beat Vegas this football season? Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head to head with the best odds makers in Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets that you will find anywhere. Go and download the Superbook Sports app right now or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas ASAP. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports. Go download it. Support them because they support us. Um, And obviously... The NFL playoffs have been a blast to bet on if, you, if you're one of those people. Some people just hate losing money, uh, but I, I I have fun with it. And there's re- almost no better time than now. There's so many just different things that you can bet on in those games. It's crazy. So go download. How, how'd you uh, fare this weekend? Did you put any, put any bets on the uh, divisional round of the playoffs? I didn't this weekend. I, I became uh, a, a tad disillusioned uh, after... I I took such a beating during this football season, like just lost everything during the regular season, and I've been kind of leery. So you you bet on the Titans a lot, I guess. Maybe, (laughs) (laughs) but it 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 comes and goes though because last football season I I ended up like netting a bunch of money. So it really just be better than me at betting and then uh, on SuperBook and you'll be good to go. I but. Uh, yeah, I've just, I've been a little slow getting back into it lately after the regular season. Um, so you might need to address this, uh, this, uh, comment here from big 10 Jeff, cause it kind of goes along with your Jalen hurts tweet that went viral Oof. over the weekend. I didn't see this Jeff. He says, how about Ohio state QB Joe Burrow? Yeah, that's typical Ohio state stuff. And, and I bet Alabama also claims Alvin Kamara, uh, you know, just wait, yeah. just wait until, cause I, I watched a decent amount of the Chicago Bears. It's part of the job and uh, this season. And, and Justin Fields looked electric at times. They just didn't really have anything around him. So if they kind of take off next season, you know, might be some Georgia fans out there doing the same thing with him. Uh, I would not be surprised by that at all. And the funniest thing with that tweet that went so crazy is that it was a ton of Georgia fans. I noticed. Like it was it was the collective hate of the world towards Alabama just sort of coming out through that one tweet. It seemed like it was just a ton of people. It was Oklahoma fans, it was Georgia fans, it was Tennessee fans. Like it was everybody just being like screw these guys. Uh and so that was fun, but yeah, I I will happily 
if Georgia fans do that, I'll happily do the same thing for them um, without hesitation. Let's get right into the transfer portal. Obviously, hottest topic in college football. Tennessee has at this point the the numbers according to on three. They're so good with this stuff. Nobody else is doing what they're doing with transfers. Just heads up to everybody else. Two, four, seven rivals. Anybody else? They're beating you to the punch on this one. They have it exactly laid out. Guys that came in, guys that went out. And they even have it ranked. I don't put a lot of stock into that necessarily, just because transfers can be so up and down. Uh, and, and you know, it's all about sort of fits and why they left a certain place and things like that. But I appreciate the service from on three. Um, Tennessee has gotten, it looks like, am I counting this correctly, eight guys in the transfer portal and then lost 13 out of it. On face value, that sounds like, oh, we lost more than we gained. But then when you really look at it, Tennessee, in terms of the losses that they had, you just go through that list and there is absolutely no offense to any of these kids. And I hope they have the best college career possible and that they find the spot for them and, you know, all the qualifiers there. But Tennessee just didn't, they didn't lose anybody that I think was devastating in any way. And, and anybody that was probably going to be a major contributor in the coming year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. But I also think that that conversation can go both ways, not to be like a downer about it, but you know, you see some of these guys leave Tennessee and they transfer to wherever, you know, we've seen guys go to UCF, I think, or USF down there and Wake Forest and some other places. And people might get a recruit and say, hey, or a, a transfer and say, hey, that guy went to Tennessee. You know, that's an SEC guy that's coming here. And then Tennessee fans are saying, well, he wasn't really a contributor. So when you get a guy, another program might be having that same conversation, right? Like they weren't that upset to lose him. I'm not saying that's the case with anybody that Tennessee got, but that's the weird thing about the transfer portal is if you're in a really, really good situation and you're playing really well and your team's kind of counting on you, unless there's some NIL debacle, chances are you're not going anywhere. You're typically leaving because you weren't getting playing time or the playing time you thought you should get at one place and you think you will at the other place. So, you know, it's kind of kind of goes both ways, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. But you you just run through these it was Taven Jackson, quarterback, Walker Merrill, wide receiver. They were probably the two most impactful if there was going to be any here. Walker Merrill did play a decent amount. Taven Jackson certainly has the potential. I think he'll be a starter somewhere, maybe Indiana, where he's gone. Um, Justin Williams, Thomas, Jimmy Holiday, Jordan Phillips, Jimmy Callaway, Savion Herring, Miles Campbell, William Parker, Lynette Whitehead, RJ Perry, Juwan Mitchell, and Lynn J. Dixon. I mean, I, I think the closest one you would turn to is Juwan Mitchell just because he was the guy that played the most. I thought out of I thought Walker Merrill could could slide in and play a role if needed, but that's obviously probably. a position of strength for Tennessee as well. I mean, even with him leaving, you're still gonna have some good depth there. You got the guy from Oregon and you got some really good players coming in, like Nathan Laycock and, and Cam Seldon that'll play big roles possibly as true freshmen. Nug says in the comments, I was bummed about the tight end uh, that left, and that was Miles Campbell. And certainly, I mean, there there were guys that left that I think had potential. I look at Justin Williams Thomas. He was one we were hopeful for. He played some early in the yeah. season, it felt like, and then just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, those those guys, it's tough to think about maybe the potential there but the the only ones that really saw the field were walker merrill juan mitchell juan mitchell primary among them but you even look 
and you picked up Keenan Peely in his place and Keenan Peely was really productive at BYU. And, uh, and I, I even looked at this today to sort of see the difference there. Keenan Peely had 62 tackles. He would have been the second leading rusher on Tennessee's second leading rusher, second leading <laughs> tackler on Tennessee's team this season um, with those numbers. And then he was uh, third on, on BYU's team. So they were just pretty productive and, and, uh, tackling uh, this season in general, but uh, you know it. It just is so tenuous with that stuff because I the what the thing that I always go back to with the transfer portal is why is a kid leaving play this place? And motivations can be all over the place as far as that goes. Parents want you to move back close to home. You're not getting the playing time that you want. The you don't like the coach or whatever. You you look. A lot of the times it's like a coach is leaving and then they follow that coach somewhere or whatever. It may, that was Caleb Williams with uh, with the old what's his face out there, Lincoln Riley at USC. You know, that happens. And I, I feel like that there's got to be some correlation there. I wish you could. Can on three do this? Can they graph the reason a kid is leaving to how successful he is after he leaves? Yeah. <laughs> is that a stat we can that would, get? Yeah, that would be interesting. I I think each situation is unique, and I think what you said there kind of answers a question that a lot of people have had. You see a lot of players hit and question this as well. I've written articles, been like, hey, Tennessee needs to go after this guy. Like, I think there was a Syracuse cornerback. There's been so many players that have hit the portal, it's hard to keep up with. But a lot of players, I was like, Tennessee has a need there. Why do they not go after that kid? And then, you know, maybe there's conversations that happen behind the scenes or somebody talks with somebody that's close to that program and they hear something they don't like or they realize maybe why that person's transferring. So so much of that stuff that happens where maybe Hypel uh, is like, hey, this guy's probably not going to be a good fit in our culture. It's not worth it to do what we have going here because we think he has some talent. So I think every program's like that to an extent. I mean, maybe like Ole Miss seems like they'll take whoever out of the portal because they're, I mean, they're losing people every single day too. So that whole situation kind of seems on edge to me as it is, which is typically how it goes about this time in Lane Kiffin's tenure at a program about third or fourth year, it kind of starts going south. Um, I just think every situation is unique and and maybe there's some guys that, that they haven't taken because of those reasons. Like they just don't, like they think there's a reason they're in the portal and they don't need those problems. For sure. Uh, they they really seem to emphasize that on Hypel's staff, and I think that's awesome. I think that's it's bared itself out so far in Hypel's time here. Uh, but now looking, we listed all of the guys that left. Looking at everybody that's coming in, you have, let's see, start start from some of the earliest. McCallan Castles at tight end. I like that. Fills a need. Charles Campbell at kicker. Fills a need. Kid from uh, Indiana. Andre Carrick, offensive lineman. Uh, from Texas fills a need kind of the same with uh, with John Campbell who you need to find you really need to find a guard and a tackle on the right side of your offensive line and so uh, maybe those guys are it then you have Keenan Peely who we just mentioned linebacker from BYU his uh, defensive uh, counterpart or however you want to say that uh, Gabe uh, Judy Lally Lally um, out of BYU cornerback from BYU they picked him up this past week then Omar Norman Lott on the defensive line. And uh, kind of the guy that probably has the most hype coming in, Dante Thornton from Oregon, the wide receiver. Uh, I, I look at every single one of those, and they just pointedly filled a need on this roster. 
And even like you look at Dante Thornton, it, it, it was excessive at the time that they picked him up, but then Walker Merrill goes out the door and again, no offense to anybody at all. Tennessee upgraded there. That's it is what it is. You, you got a kid who has solid Pac-12 experience and has shown that he's super explosive and he's played more than Walker Merrill's played in D1 football. And he's hungry too. I mean, he wants yeah. to win the bullet in a cough. He's been pretty straight up about that. Like he's exactly comes in there super competitive. And, and I'm not saying Walker Merrill wasn't competitive, but that's something that Josh Heupel really looks for in a player. Uh, I think he puts it up there almost with skills, ability, measurables is competitiveness. Cause like Grant Frecking told us that, you know, when he was on with us last week, you know, Josh Heupel is one of the most competitive people he's ever met. And he grew up in a family uh, that they, everybody played college sports at, at major programs, Auburn, Missouri, Georgia Tech, Baylor. Uh, he's been around three different head coaches at Tennessee now with Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt and Heupel. And he's like, that guy's the most competitive guy I've ever met. So I think that's – and we've heard Heupel say that too about, you know, what he looks for in players. So that competitiveness and hunger to, to just be great is something that he really, I think, puts a premium on. Absolutely. I, I like this question. Maybe this is a good framing for this discussion. Mm. <laughs> Bork Borkington, <laughs> he says, who are the top three most exciting portal additions? Um, I, I would say to you me, start with Thornton, right? Yeah. I mean, Thornton, just because he, he just seems like that's a perfect match made in heaven yeah. to me. Yeah. That, that one is probably, Number one, you go beyond that. Like it, it sounds lame, but replacing that right tackle spot is so important. I mean, that is so key. And it it but, could be either of these dudes. It could be somebody that's already on the team, Campbell or Carrick. I think Campbell is the presumptive guy, mm -hmm. um, and and Carrick is probably guard. But yeah, uh, that that one not necessarily exciting and like really flashy but super super important and if you know i i look at ones where if they really popped it could be exciting like omar norman lot uh you know if you got a really great performance out of him you could have a really solid defensive line next year uh along with amari thomas and other guys on that line so uh there's there's some some exciting pieces there what do you think zach Yes, yeah, I start with Thornton, and then when it comes to Campbell, like I'm, I'm with you that it feels such a huge need, but for me, like Darnell Wright was so good this year, so good. He's so underrated going into the draft. I think through the combine, he'll boost his stock and end up being a late first round pick. But the dude shut down Will Anderson. He shut down, you know, BJ Ojolari from LSU, who's also going to be a first round pick. He didn't give up a sack the end of the season was 100 snaps. That is impossible almost to replace. Uh, and even if Campbell plays well, he's another one of those. It's like, why did he transfer? You know, does he just want to be at Tennessee? Was he not getting what he wanted in Miami? Like, how how does that, you know, what's the story there? We don't necessarily fully know. Yeah, he was a so star. I, I do have some concerns there about, you know, matching that level of productivity that we saw from Darnell Wright. Just because that, that's those are huge shoes to fill. Um I kind of go to Peely. I think I'm bringing in bringing him in at linebacker and being able to compliment Beasley there. I think probably with his experience, even though you're losing Jeremy Banks, who's kind of a polarizing player that you know always played, made plays, generally was in the right place, even though if he wasn't that great in coverage, 
I think you upgrade there and the way Beasley played last year, especially the second half of the season, I think that can really be a strength if they both stay healthy for Tennessee. So I think that's a really exciting addition. Now look at his teammate that you brought in, the BYU, the DB that that first played at Vanderbilt before going to BYU. So he's been in the SEC before. That was such a weakness for Tennessee in the secondary. I don't think it was always as bad as people made it out to be. Uh, they kind of went with that whole, you know, we've been over it a ton before the bend don't break and then get in the red zone and try to stop them there, which worked most games they played, except for the South Carolina game, obviously. Every other game, they kind of went with that strategy and, and it worked. So I think bringing him in really helps kind of solidify that secondary. Hopefully they take a step forward, but I think you had some guys that were, you know, better suited maybe to play cornerback that were playing or better better suited to play safety that were having to play cornerback. And this kind of allows you to free some of that up and maybe as a result makes everything better there. Yeah. Looking at Gabe Judy, should we include that? It I've seen it different in a hundred different places looking at this kid so far. Some people call him Gabe Judy Lally, some people call him Gabe Judy. I don't know. Apologies if there is any offense there, but looking at his numbers, he was the he was number two in all of independent football, which is not that many teams, but still he was number two in all of independent college football in pass breakups this season. I love the sound of that. I think it was, was it seven he had? Um, he's, got, he's got good size, too. He's yeah. six, two. I mean, he's long. It's what you want in a cornerback. Mm-hmm. And that is that is really exciting because there, there was just really nobody in that secondary that could just beat a receiver man-to-man. They could just line up and just play solid defense. Like, they were just always having to drop back, give guys room so that they don't just get blown by. Like, it was... Whew, it was tough at times to watch. And so if you could have a guy, I mean, like this, seven pass breakups. Yeah, BYU doesn't play the most powerful schedule on planet Earth, but they play, you know, they play real opponents and and uh, it, it sort of depends year to year in terms of who it is. But uh, like as a side note here. Do you think some of Tennessee's struggles in the secondary is because they practice against such a non-orthodox offense every day of the week, and they're not really seeing what teams like Georgia and some of these more traditional offenses do, and they don't really – I mean, you know they practice that stuff, obviously, but when they're going in team periods, I mean, they're going up against a very different look than what they're seeing on Saturdays. I, I, I just wondered all year if that if that has any sort of impact on their performance. Maybe. That that's a really interesting question. I don't think I I considered that much, but it is certainly a weird offense to practice against, no doubt about it. Because just for the most part in the SEC, you just typically see that more traditional offense. I I would say the thing that you probably see the most is like like Georgia does that stupid sugar huddle where they huddle and then they get to the ball really quick and they do that like you see stuff like that but even at the end of the day they're still running a more traditional offense um and tennessee's is just a real outlier and it's that's interesting i don't know uh but e- either way getting dudes there um y- you look at the set of guys that tennessee's gonna have at this point at uh defensive back they're not necessarily in need they have the warm bodies finally. Like Josh Heupel's first year, you're just like scouring, like, is there literally anyone who can play this position? This year, it was a little more in the middle. You had a lot of guys get hurt throughout the year. 
shut a ton of guys got shuffled around dudes were playing safety corner getting you know wherever they were needed they played and then in this class uh you have a lot of young guys coming in and that's nice and some of them highly rated and potential immediate contributors uh i think the is it jordan matthews um if i'm thinking correctly at that defensive back they want to have uh potentially be an immediate contributor so you have some of that like i said you have the warm bodies but you don't have a guy like gabe judy who this kid's played sec ball i mean he had a (laughs) you found this zach or however you found it he has he had an interception against tennessee (laughs) he he played for vandy uh and then intercepted jt shroud (laughs) and uh so like he has sec experience he's gone to byu he was the number two, number two in pass breakups and in independent ball this year. I I love the sound of that. Now the the question is also, and this this has been um, in the in the rumor mill swirling around this week is Tennessee still searching for another defensive back in the portal? And the name that has been brought up because this kid uh, was a Tennessee recruit when he was recruited out of high school. Oh, is, I want to hear you pronounce this. I believe I so I listened to an Ole Miss. I listened to an Ole Miss media member. I tracked one down on YouTube and listened to an Ole Miss media member say this: Davison Igbenosan. I think sounds. Um, you said it with confidence. That's all that matters. He and I, I'm I'm confident because it was a it was where the media member was interviewing this kid and he was like, "We're here with Davison Igbenosan," and he said that. So I was like, "Surely that's right," unless he's just saying this kid's name wrong right to his face well we did that with santiago vescovi for a while <laughs> that's true and jared garantano for a while as well so probably still know. saying it wrong yeah um but this this kid he was a tennessee recruit coming out of uh high school and he's leaving ole miss he chose ole miss he's leaving ole miss because his defensive coordinator left to go to texas a&m uh and the rumor is sort of one of two things. Tennessee is trying hard to get him. Also, he may just be following that defensive coordinator to Texas A&M. I, I scoured the message boards today to see any sort of intel. It's a little all over the place. Saw saw some like, he's he's leaning Tennessee. He, he's hearing NIL offers. He Texas A&M is a sure thing. Like I, I saw... Uh, an actual Ole Miss reporter wrote <coughs> that Texas A&M is the main threat there. Can conglomerate all of that and do with it what you want. I, I you know, your guess uh, is as good as mine as far I as I think. But I wouldn't want to get into a bidding war with Texas A&M. They're a little more <laughs> no. desperate right now. Also yeah. coming off of a bad season and Jimbo. I mean, who knows if he's in limbo or not because of that huge buyout. But you got to think there's only so many losing seasons that Texas A&M will put up with while paying that much money for players, allegedly. But, yeah, I wouldn't want to get into it. And I don't think Tennessee will get into a bidding war with Texas A&M unless maybe, you know, kind of like free agency where they, they drive the price up a little bit for another program. But maybe it doesn't come down to that. But if that is the case... I'd imagine Tennessee might might would pass because you know they got Warren Warren Burrell coming back Burrell coming back this year and he had a pretty good 2021 you know, he was improved and we didn't really get to see if he was improved in 2022. Uh, obviously they missed him quite a bit down the stretch so that's a player that you kind of have coming back that you didn't have most of the last season. 
Yeah, it it goes to what I was saying about like, does Tennessee need another DB after this pickup of Gabe Judy? Not necessarily. You have you have Burrell coming back. You have the dudes that played the season, and you have the newcomers coming in. And there's um, talent there. I mean, Danico Slaughter showed some good things. Um, could could I put can I put it this way? Ten- Tennessee has has the dudes, but Tennessee needs dudes. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, I feel like that's like they. Yes, there are guys there who will absolutely play cornerback and, and safety for you. But are they going to be the best guy possible? So, but you you look at that and you go, do you want to get greedy? Because obviously there is that the potential of after spring ball, the guys that are there they can transfer out again. So, do yeah. you want to get greedy there? I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to lose depth, but at the same time, I mean, like if you lose, like I think Kamal Haddon would be the one that might would transfer, and I know he's another polarizing player because. Like he talked like that really that South Carolina game. He was talking trash after every time South Carolina gained 15 yards, but he's a really athletic guy. He's one of the more athletic players in that secondary. If he ever puts it together, he could be a real weapon, but he just kind of hasn't yet. I mean, it's, yeah, it's things like that, that, that make me go, ah, maybe you should. And, and just get, get a guy. I mean, Igbenosin, he was good. That, that old miss, uh, he was a solid player. And could probably, I, I would say from, he would be a starter for Tennessee. I think just projecting, take, taking a player from Lane Kiffin too would be, be mm. pretty sweet, right? That would be satisfying. You know, I, you know what I thought about, and this is I don't want to get too far off topic here, but it, it popped in my mind over the weekend. You remember in in really 2017 and 2021, the last two coaching searches, a lot lot of movement, a lot of lot of people wanted Lane Kiffin to come back, right? I was open to the idea. He turned that Bama offense around really under Saban and, and did some great things there, really turned Florida Atlantic around. He's interesting. He he's not boring by any means. He kind of he kind of has that swagger. But like Josh Heupel has been everything that people hoped that Lane would have been at Tennessee, right? Like he's got the swagger, not not quite the bravado of Kiffin where he's as public with it, but he definitely has it. We learned that this season scores an insane amount of points, insanely quick turnaround. I mean, he he's everything that you would have dreamed that Lane would have been. It's, it's just kind of funny the way that worked out because nobody would have – not many people would have taken Hypo over Kiffin uh, either of those cycles. It is pretty crazy. I mean, and he's already had a season – is it better than Kiffin's best season ever, I want to say? I don't know um, if Kiffin ever won 11 at USC – he probably would have won 11 Ole Miss last year if Matt Corral doesn't get hurt in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor. Yeah. I think he would have. Um, but they but didn't. Still, play. I don't think they played Georgia uh, last season. Or, yeah, they obviously, they played Alabama and LSU. But, yeah, I don't know if he ever won 11. I think 10 was his best season at USC. Hmm. I mean, it <laughs> It would be kind of – it would bring that full circle a little bit to, to take one of his players, uh, especially defensively. That would be very – ironic but um i i would be more than happy to see that happen we just don't as i said the intel is sort of all over the place he could just stay at old miss that's another possibility but i i really liked i actually found in researching that kid just a quick side note here and this this makes me root for him a little bit whether he comes to tennessee or not i just liked this little tidbit um 
in researching that kid and kind of trying to find out how to say his name, um, he did, I think is probably part of an NIL deal. He did a podcast this year with a Ole Miss media member. Um, and he, he did it and he has a stutter. He has a speech impediment and he did the podcast in an effort to like work through the speech impediment. And I thought that was very cool. They talked about it on, on the one that I watched and said that his, the, that the stutter had improved over the course of doing the podcast. I thought it was a cool little thing. So I, it, it was, uh, Something that made me like him, like I said, whether he comes to Tennessee or not, I thought that was a cool thing. Uh, but as far as that goes, come to Tennessee and hey, do the podcast with me and Zach. <laughs> and we'll, yeah, we'll have you on. Yeah, we'll let you hang out. Um, and that it would be a good pickup. Bottom line, does Tennessee need it or not? It's debatable, but I think most Tennessee fans would go. Look at that secondary last year. We'll take all the help we can get. Come on down. Yeah. To answer uh, Danny's question real quick, who drafted Matt Corral? The Carolina Panthers drafted him somewhere in the middle rounds, I think. But he suffered a, a foot injury, I believe, during, during training camp. So he didn't play really at all this season. He probably would have. Panthers went through quite a few quarterbacks, everyone from Baker Mayfield to Sam Darnold and in between, it seemed like. Um. Yeah, I, th- I think that can be it with the transfer portal stuff. Did you have anything else as far as that that goes before we move on to Nico? No, I've heard I've seen some people kind of ask, uh, you know, with the with the portal, the rules, you know, because it closed last Wednesday, I believe was the last day. If you're in the portal when it closes, you can still transfer to a new destination at any time. You just can't go back in. You know, you can't go into the portal until May. I think May first is when it opens for like 15 days after spring practice. So. If you're in the portal right now, you're not stuck. You can get out if you choose to. I, uh, I'll i be interested to see if there's any last-second moves. Because I, as of right now, I'll predict that they don't get the kid from Ole Miss and that they're set until after spring. And then maybe I, I could see more movement after spring. I, I could definitely see that. Now, but uh, With my last comment, people can announce that they're going to transfer they just can't officially go in the portal which technically means they can't be contacted by their programs but we know how that goes yeah (laughs) well moving on from there there's a transfer talk but uh, i think along with the transfer something that tennessee fans are probably just as excited about if not more so is Nico Ial Maliava, the five-star quarterback coming in from tennessee so since last week when we spoke zach I believe this was the middle of last week on three came out with their final rankings for the 2023 class. And lo and behold, Nico was the number, <coughs> excuse me, huh? the number one overall player. I got so excited about this that it choked me up. Uh, <laughs> he was the number one overall player for on three for 2023. They moved him up. He is over Arch Manning and Keon Keeley was actually their number two player who was going to uh, Alabama. And that was crazy on its face. And that's cool. It was <laughs> me and uh, Austin Stanley talked about it. It's the first time Tennessee's had the number one overall player in a class since uh, since Bryce Brown <laughs> with Lane Kiffin. <laughs> uh, a funny little tidbit there. Um, but uh, just interesting that they had him over Arch. Did you have any quick feelings on that? Did you see where ESPN put him in their final rankings? 
Oh yeah, wasn't it like twenty fifth or 23rd, something? Twenty third. Twenty third. Like what a slight to Nico. I mean, my feeling, it, it, like I think that's good for Tennessee when it comes to exposure. I don't think it really means anything because I think those top five, maybe even top ten recruits, you can pretty much put them in any order, and you're really not going to be wrong. I mean, they're all obviously elite, talented kids that are have a chance to really do some special things in college and at the next level. So. I think it's good just for Tennessee to kind of get that att- attention for landing the number one recruit, you know, on, on, on threes rankings. But I don't, you know, it doesn't change the perception of Nico for me. He's still the same guy, which which my perception is obviously very positive. I mean, I can't say enough good things about the kid at this point from the way he handles himself to what we've seen from him physically. Um, but no, I don't think it, you know, beyond that, it, it's not a big deal to me. Let me say of Nico, I... I am certainly someone that as far as recruits go, I get excited for big recruits and it's great. Yeah. Build program. Exactly. It's awesome. I mean, that, that is how you become elite is getting four and five star guys. Look at Georgia. Um, But on the whole, almost no matter who it is, I go, let's just wait till they play in an sec football game. We'll see how good they are. It, it weeds out the, the men from the boys, SEC football, very effectively. You know, it's not Big Ten football where you can not be that great and still succeed. The SEC football really brings the heat. And um, I, don't, I don't get that excited about guys overall. But Nico, dude, so I watched him in this Polynesian Bowl. Again, I'm tr- like, I want to kind of pick this apart a little bit and be like, hey, how about we all slow down? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You watch this dude play football. Obviously, there is a giant difference between the Polynesian All-Star Bowl and an SEC football. But, I mean, dude, you watch this guy play. At, At a minimum, his athleticism and just sort of this, slidey slippery way that he runs and he's smart with the football and he can throw absolute dimes already you know it sometimes it takes quarterbacks a while to be able to really throw throw college throws and I think a lot of people know what I mean when I say that and there's even a difference between college throws and pro throws but to make college throws he's already doing that and you just watch him and you go like I I will put it this way I will be shocked shocked if he is not at least very solid for Tennessee and I that prediction could come back and we could replay this in three years and I look like a total idiot but man like just bottom line most dudes don't look like this dude coming out of high school I will put it that yeah I mean I'm in agreement with you I've I've tried to like slow myself down a little bit on the hype uh, one because it's not probably not fair to him to hype no. him up that much <laughs> I mean you gotta give him a chance to prove himself and to develop at his own rate but it, it's not just the physical skills which we did see in the Polynesian Bowl you know early on he had the interception you can't you know ignore that he did throw an interception um, but but other than that he he really looked great he was he showed how he can get out of the pocket when the play breaks down and kind of use his legs but it's not it's not really his go-to move, kind of like Hendon Hooker. I mean, we saw that from Hooker quite a bit. And and that's one thing that we've criticized Joe Milton for is to not not having that pocket awareness. So the fact that Nico already seems to have that is obviously a, a huge plus. But but for me, 
It's the off the field stuff. It's all the stuff we've heard people say about him. It's the things that we've heard his teammates say about him that have only been around him for, you know, a few weeks, really in a actual him being a part of the team. It's Josh Heupel saying that he came in and he was just immediately part of the team. It wasn't like, oh, there's that Nico guy. There's that $8 million guy that got this big NIL deal. And they're all kind of like trying to warm up to him or see, you know, kind of keeping him at arm's length and, and seeing how he really is. And he said he immediately was just like a member of the team. And you've seen that in his interactions with players, you know, like the little bit of stuff we've been able to see on social media. And then just like we talked about this last week, pointing out the walk-ons like that you're going to learn from them because they were there before Nico was, you know, that's kind of their territory that he's coming into. And he respects that. And I think it's obviously the way he was raised, but just the way he handles himself, the way that he cares, they say he's a lot like Hypo where he's fun-loving but also has this really, really competitive streak in him. It's all of that stuff that really makes me excited for him. We've seen kids that are physically yeah. talented not work out. I mean, I watched I said I watched Riley Ferguson at practices at Tennessee, and I thought the guy had an NFL future just based off of what we, the ball coming out of his arm, you know, against receiver with receivers against the air where they're not really being defended. In that setting, he looked legit. Obviously didn't turn out to be. Uh, but he didn't have those intangibles that Nico has. And, and we kind of knew that early on with him. So that, to me, that's what makes me excited about Nico. Absolutely. The cultural fit's incredible. He's, he's yeah. I would say, wise beyond God, his years. He really is such a perfect fit for Josh Heupel. And it's not this – and I'm not knocking Kirby Smart. Uh, by any means, he's won back-to-back championships. But his culture is a lot different than Tennessee's, right? Like, we've heard the leaked audios, which I wonder how – leaked that really is that we just happened to hear him yelling at keely ringo before the tennessee game or we hear this expletive laden locker room speech um before a game this season that culture is a lot different like nico probably doesn't fit into that culture and maybe that's why georgia and nico never really gained any traction uh in, in the recruiting process but hypo's culture he fits perfect like fun loving work hard you know positive environment and that's the type of person nico is and that's the type of culture that hypo has built uh, at tennessee sure it's it's really exciting i mean again you do have to caveat it and say like we haven't seen him play an actual down yada 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 we know there's really no reason in terms of this conversation saying all that stuff we all get that but let's do watch i'll do an explainer here we have to worry about copyright claims because that's how we make money on youtube so i'm gonna show a clip of nico throwing in this game that is i mean it's just it's a josh heupel play really that's about the long and the short of it he throws this uh, pass to deuce robinson who good lord i wish he would come to tennessee he's not going to i don't think but um nico was working on him he was trying really hard obviously they're both of polynesian descent and uh, apparently they clicked really well at the Polynesian Bowl. He's five-star tight end. Um, baseball player, too. Baseball player, too. He needs somebody get Tony Vitello on the phone uh, to talk to this guy. Uh, but he throws the ball to Deuce Robinson, who's also a five-star kid, and the connection was just great. But, I mean, this is a play out of Josh Heupel's playbook, and it's just absolutely beautiful. But So we have copyright considerations, so I have to just show it like this, like off of my phone, so that we don't get copyright claimed. It was on the NFL Network. They'll find it. Believe me, they're super protective of their IP. So here's here is this throw from Nico. If we can get uh, get it to show here, yeah, that's him. good. There we go. 
Just a huge pass over the top. Absolutely beautiful. Dime right in the kid's hands. And, you know, you just look at that and you go, oh, yeah, that's... That's, that's what Tennessee did this year. That's what Tennessee yeah. did this year. I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, their... that's, that's Tennessee play. Like that kid is gonna do it. <laughs> like that's that is a, a, a Josh Heupel play down to a T. And man, I I don't know. Like I said, I want to be there. It's like whoa, 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 hold up. But you just watch everything this that this dude does, and it's just so exciting, man. The I only think. I think the only thing concern here that you got to have is him operating Heupel's offense. And I, I'm not saying that you should be concerned about it, but I think that's the one unknown that we have with him right now. We haven't seen him run this up-tempo, you know, you're the quarter, you know, they're calling the play, but you're the quarterback out there. And what you see based on how the defense is aligned is kind of how the play is going to go. And you got to be on the same page with your receivers. It's one thing that Hendon Hooker did really, really well. You rarely saw miscommunications where, Okay, if the DBs playing this way, we're going to take it down the field. If they're like got outside leverage, for example, we're going to turn that route in and go more towards the middle of the field. You know, they were always on the same page when it came to that stuff. Rarely did we see mix-ups with Hooker and his receivers. So Nico's got to figure that out. The timing, they got to be comfortable with each other. They got to be in sync, and then just the tempo of it, being able to process everything that fast. I'm not saying that I think he's going to have an issue with it, but we we got to see that before we know for sure. Yeah, the, the rubber still has to meet the road. And I like this this comment from, from Bork here. Uh, oh, let's know. Where was it? Yeah, here. Well, that is. Um, he said, well, that, he said, we can answer that one. That was Caden Salter. That oh, yes. About who got busted twice. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but Bork said, Nico can be special, especially since they are giving him time to develop and to continue to build with the team around him. I think that's a great point. The fact that he is not coming in with this air of he's going to be the expected starter because the guy we have is really subpar. You watch the way that Joe Milton played in that bowl game, and I think he's he's your presumed starter. He obviously beat Clemson by 17 points, and, and it wasn't like he just handed the ball off the entire time. He threw some great passes and really played well uh, and, and threw some real dimes and, and led the offense nicely. And you look at that, and that's got to be exciting because also Joe Milton has been a, a – solid leader in that room too so nico is in there with a good leader and doesn't have to have that saddle on his back of just like you have to be the guy please be the guy we need somebody and that's so daunting especially if you're just an 18 year old kid even as mature and and sort of together as it seems like uh nico has everything um that's still so daunting for a kid like that and so that's that's really nice obviously the one outlying factor here is what if Joe gets hurt? Do you do you drop down to Gaston more to sort of protect him? Uh, do you really emphasize trying to get a, a portal QB, even though it seems like a borderline impossible task at this point to sort of just fill that weird need? Um, but I, uh, I just it, it's all just really exciting. I mean, Wayne brings this up too. He says. That was a great throw, but Nico's speed on his long scramble run was what impressed me the most. Yes, man. His he is a natural run. Dude looks like a gazelle out there. Like he's huh. I don't know. I, I want to poke holes in it again. And they're just not there. <laughs> they aren't there for for uh you know the the taking. Uh so any anything else with uh Nico before we move on, Zach? Um one one thing, I mean, people have talked about his size, right? Like that's the one negative that you've kind of heard that he's 
to he needs to put weight on. A little scrawny. He's not that scrawny though. I mean, maybe he's looked that way in photos, but every everybody that's been around him in person says he's much bigger than you realize. Six six what two hundred pounds is what he's listed. At? What's he listed at on 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 Tennessee's uh, uh, website? I think it was like two hundred five or uh, two hundred pounds or so. Like oh, on Tennessee's website, I don't know. Yeah, on his official here, two hundred pounds. I mean, right, that's okay. about what Tyler Bray was listed at when he came in, and nobody ever said that. He's the same height as Tyler Bray, 6'6". Six, six. Tyler Bray was 200 during the recruiting process coming into Tennessee. So they're right around the same size, and I don't think anybody ever questioned Tyler Bray's size. No. I And that, if he is small, that'll get worked out in time. I mean, look, look at some of these guys from, from just the time when Heupel uh, showed up. Like some of these dudes have absolutely bulked up. Um, what's yeah, the, somebody saw some reporter that saw uh, from twenty four seven Sports said it looks like Nico's added five to ten pounds of good weight just since arriving at at Tennessee in early December. I mean that's that's a month to put yeah. on five ten pounds of good weight. I mean that's that's a that's progress. Absolutely. Oh look, Jeff gave me a perfect little intro here. He said. He's talking about recruiting in the comments, and he said, y'all really wanted Carnell Tate. You know what's really funny? Mm, Yeah, I know where you're going with this. Tennessee got Nathan Laycock, uh, and he is now ranked ahead of Carnell Tate. (laughs) Here comes an on-three comment. And Yeah, I'm sure now now Jeff's going to be like, on-three doesn't know what they're talking about. They're sorry. I mean, I don't know. They they want him way more than any of us ever did. So Again... Uh, that is another situation where it's to me that just says, Hey, Tate and Laycock, they're both in the same stratosphere, right? Yes. They're both the same type of player, same talented, same caliber player. Uh, that ranking, whether you're 45 or 49, whatever it is, that doesn't mean anything. It just means they're kind of in that same area. So I was just looking through the comments here. I think that's, that's pretty much it uh, on, on Nico. Time will tell. We, we shall see what exactly happens. Hopefully he doesn't have to play the season in some kind of emergency yeah. role and it works out the way we're all hoping. Hopefully. But let's let's finish the the football discussion with a little bit of promo for your work, Zach, just quickly. You put out an article this week that was just all of the best moments from Tennessee's season. Um, just sort of uh, you laid out everything. Um and I want to ask you, <clears throat> and people can obviously weigh in on this too in the comments. Uh, I got a bunch of people watching. We appreciate it. Um, but your your top three moments from the season. Now that it's all wrapped up, we're through the Orange Bowl, and and everything uh, is is done. Your top three moments out of everything, because it's it's still sort of fresh on your mind. You went you went pretty deep for that article. What what do you think? Yeah, so I, there's a lot of different angles you can take on this because there's so much that happens, so it's really hard to limit it to just three overarching moments. I think to answer your question, I'll go with the three best, like, non-on-the-field moments that actually play. And I'll take out the Alabama celebration and all of that because obviously that kind of trumps everything that happened this year. So the, the first moment that stuck out to me, though, did happen during the Alabama game, and it was Princeton fan throwing shade at Henry Toto for the night before the game, Alabama drops the hype video and you got Henry Toto talking about making a few more plays in Neyland with a new band of brothers. And then he finishes it by saying, it's not personal. It's just business. And he does a little 
tie straightening thing or whatever and picks the briefcase up, right? So well, good. Uh, Tennessee puts a, uh, puts Princeton fan in at fullback. He scores a touchdown against a very confused Alabama defense. We later later learned from Nick Saban that they had no idea how to defend a fullback run uh, from the old school college football coach. But anyway, after scoring that touchdown, you see Princeton fan on the sideline. He straightens the tie, does a little toe-toe, mocking dance, whatever, does it in the locker room. Press conference, I think it was that following Monday when they met with the media, they asked him specifically, like, was that used as motivation? And Fant says, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it was motivation, and it's not personal. It is just business when you step out there. We came to win, and we did. So that was uh, that was the first moment that you really saw, like, some of the pettiness from this team. I think the next one was the one that we talked to Grant about on the podcast last week. If you haven't seen that, check, check it out, because Grant had so many tons of great things to say about NIL, uh, his experience with Josh Heupel, what Heupel means to him is, is really good uh, from him. Uh, but he talked, you know, the real football deal with Will Levis and Kentucky. And it wasn't really just Will Levis. I mean, the offensive coordinator was saying a bunch of stuff that week about pro-style offenses and how Will Levis is going to be so much more better prepared for the NFL because of the type of offense that he runs. And he was real smug about it because he came from the NFL. Rich Scarinello or however you say his name. Angarello. And then Will Levis gets up there and says, I love I love throwing 80-yard touchdown passes. Who doesn't? But, you know, running the ball, bleeding the clock, like that's real football. That's real, real football. And that's that was echoed all throughout the Tennessee locker room, which we found out last week. Grant told us that that was indeed the case. They did talk about that in the locker room, and they did, you know, uh, pass those quotes around. And Tennessee, one, they they – they go on that long drive, 13-play drive, or 15-play drive with 13 runs, uh, kind of giving Kentucky a taste of their own medicine. And then after the game, you see Alex Golish, you know, with his Twitter posts, like talking about real football. Several players had it on Instagram posts. Even Josh Heupel said something about, yeah, our guys played some real football out there today. So that was, that was uh, to me, like one of the best moments of the season, that entire Kentucky game and the hype that was building around Tennessee at that point, obviously didn't go well the next week against Georgia. But to me, that was like the peak of Tennessee might actually do this thing, you know. And I thought the other moment that really stood out to me was when all that stuff was being said after the South Carolina game, before the Vanderbilt game. And Kirk Herbstreet was saying that stuff on national television about things not being good in Knoxville and they're fighting in the locker room and kind of just spreading the message board rumors that we all saw that week and social media rumors. And we know now know that it wasn't exactly accurate and it wasn't exactly a big deal either. And then Josh Heupel responded to it three different times, you know, immediately after the game in the post game interview, post game press conference, he, he opened with addressing that. And then on his coaches show, he specifically called out, you know, the national media for kind of spreading those rumors about the locker room. And, just the fact that he stood up for his team and didn't let that stuff go, and it came after they responded with a fifty-six to nothing win against Vanderbilt on the yeah. road. I mean that that couldn't have been a better way to put all that stuff to bed. Go out and win big, then you can go address those questions and put that all to rest and show that it you didn't appreciate it. So I, I thought that that said a lot about Hypo, and I think it probably endeared himself to his team quite a bit. To the point of of all of those things i mean grant last grant for king who was on with us last week like you mentioned go watch that um and i, I appreciate all the great feedback people were so nice about that they they were really heaping praise on it it's i mean it's all due to grant he was awesome 
but I loved when we asked him, you know, we, we've speculated that like Heupel's like a secret dog. Like he's got that dog in him and he just doesn't present it really publicly. And Grant, I believe Grant put it in a diplomatic way, but he said, Josh Heupel's the most competitive guy I've ever seen. And, uh, that made me so happy <laughs> to have that confirmed. He knows Heupel extremely well. He explains it in that conversation. Um, and it, yeah, that made me just smile from ear to ear when he said that. Cause yeah, I mean, they, they handle that so nicely because you can, you can take that and get too hyped up about it and lose, lose your emotions and just be ridiculous. And it's like, they take it and they, they focus that energy on just beating your head in on that given week for, for that last one you're talking about, it ended up getting focused on Vandy and to sorry to Vandy, but you took a 60 point loss to Tennessee because of uh Kirk curb street. So I like this, that, that Wayne points out, cause I appreciate a lot of stuff from this season that kind of flew under the radar. And he talks about Hendon hookers third down throw against Florida. Yeah. Drive alive before the room. You know, that was right before the half. I think Tennessee was down 14 to 10 at that point. Yes. I can't remember. Correct. And that was a that was a 99-yard drive. And that was third down. Hooker has to escape the pocket. Florida gets good pressure on him, and he has to escape. He's got somebody in his face. And I think it's Princeton Fant. He somehow finds for that first down to keep that drive alive. I mean, who knows how that game turns out if they don't hit that play and score before halftime. I mean, that really was a – kind of an underrated moment. There's a lot of moments from this season that were like that, where where guys just made plays. Hooker had one against, I think, Alabama maybe, where he was like scrambling on a third and long and ended up picking up the first down, like a 25-yard run or something. Like There's so many plays like that that got not really overlooked. There's just so much happened this season. It's hard to, hard to remember everything that happened. Uh, I've watched most of these games multiple times, and there's still stuff pops up that I'd forgot about. Danny says dominating LSU in their house was one of his favorite moments. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wayne Wayne brings up the get your cleats in the ground and go play <laughs> thing that you pointed out. The, every every opponent Tennessee played had a coach or a player that said playing Tennessee, you just have to get your cleats in the ground for some reason. And what was sure. great is, you know, we had Ramon Foster that you know played for Tennessee and long career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It does uh, show on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. We had him on during the season, and he had he had like no he'd never heard that before in his life, and he's played football <laughs> so weird. literally his entire life. So yeah, I don't I don't know where that really came from. I understand what they were saying though. Once we kind of went into it a little bit, and they were talking about just having your defense set against the up tempo offense and not trying to get the play call in. But it was a strange way that everybody every coach seemingly put it the same way. I mean, he heard it from LSU, Missouri. Um, there was a couple other. I think South Carolina players said it. There was a few others that said it as well. I think that uh, that might do it for for football on this episode. I mean, we ended up going a full hour, <laughs> a little bit longer because we still got to talk about basketball. A lot happened with basketball since that dumb Kentucky loss uh, a couple of, not even a couple of weeks ago. I guess it was last Saturday. But yeah. Um. As far oh. I will say, yeah, Jeff actually dropped it and he said UGA got that wide receiver transfer, Ra Ra Thomas, and he's already been arrested. Who Tennessee, Tennessee pursued there, yeah. boy. Yeah, Tennessee offered him uh before they went after the Oregon wide receiver. And he's a good player. Yeah. Like no doubt. Like Tennessee wanted to grab him. I think they, you know, obviously it worked out better for them getting the guy from Oregon. But that yeah, he's it's like false imprisonment and misdemeanor, what was it, 
family. Domestic assault, I believe. Yeah, something like that. It's not, not good. Uh, good luck. Get going going back to the old uh, Mark Richt has lost control of Georgia days. <laughs> the uh, Kirby Smart has lost control over there yeah. at Georgia. Um, so now to basketball can finish on this. First off, I want to mention that the Lady Vols have been on an absolute tear. Um, not we haven't talked. Uh, eight I or nine. think, yeah. So they they start off very poorly. They they lost like six of their first twelve or something like just real bad. Um, and I'd kind of written them off. Like I was like, dang it, you know, that's I want I wanted a, a LVFL to do it as the coach, and it just I don't know if it's shaping up. Um, and they have since they are now seven and zero in the SEC. They won on an awesome last second play against Missouri yesterday at, at Missouri. And now they're playing UConn this week, who uh, has already they've lost twice this season. UConn has so beatable, um, and it's at Tennessee. College game day will be there uh, from Thursday all the way through Saturday. They're going to be there on Thursday, and then Tennessee, the men's team, is playing Texas on Saturday. There and college game day will be there for both essentially. Um, you know and, who won't be there? I don't know. Chris Beard. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. RIP to Chris. He's not dead, but he's not the coach anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, but Texas is still top 10, even without Beard as coach. So UConn is coming in, and it's a big matchup for the Lady Vols in Knoxville. That God, that's such a such a great one. I we had we had season tickets to to men's and women's games um when I was a kid. My my dad's from Central Kentucky, he's a huge basketball guy and we lived here. He's not, a, don't worry. He's not a Kentucky fan or anything. He raised me as a Tennessee fan. Don't worry. Uh, but, um, I mean, we just grew up going to women's games with Pat Summit and that UConn game was so, so special. They used to show that thing in primetime on CBS back when it was Pat versus Gino, man. I like, it was so big and it would sell out to the rafters. It was crazy. I wish they would do that again, but it's fortunately the lady Vol brand has fallen off, uh, some since then, but maybe, this could be a big win on Thursday. That would be great. But just wanted to shout them out there first. If you don't have tickets to that game, go to that game. Do pack out Thompson Bowling. That would be awesome because screw Gino or Emma. Um, nobody likes that guy, and I want to beat him again. Uh, but on the men's side, as I mentioned, they took that disgusting loss to Kentucky in Thompson Bowling last week. And, uh, you know, you could have gone from there and – really gone downhill they went to mississippi state and vescovy wasn't playing tyreek key was out in that game and you kind of went oh is that mississippi state you just had that terrible loss don't let it get in your head don't let them beat you twice and they went out and the first 10-ish minutes were pretty bad and then since then they just turned on the afterburners they ended up beating mississippi state by like double digits i think and then they went to lsu on saturday and LSU shouldn't even been on the floor with Tennessee in that game. That was pathetic. And that, that's one of the worst LSU teams in a, in a long, long time. They looked just really, really bad. It, I mean, it was at LSU. That's what was so shocking, probably. They just rolled over and died in that game. And Tennessee beat their head in, uh, did whatever they wanted to. So Tennessee basketball has recovered nicely. Big week this week. Georgia coming in should be a win. Uh, Rick Barnes has a very good record against Mike White, I think, in Mike White's entire tenure in the SEC, which was at Florida and now at Georgia. Mike White has only beaten Rick Barnes twice in that entire span uh, that he's been here. 
covers like I think it's what five ish years, six years, something like that at this point. This being the sixth year, maybe. Um, and so you should win that game, and then Texas on Saturday. Uh, but any, I, I want to talk about this comment that Wes Rucker made about how this might be the best team in a, in this century that Tennessee has had. But before doing that, any any thoughts on what happened after that Kentucky game? Yeah, I thought. I mean. I assume you saw a lot of the same stuff from the Mississippi State game. It seemed like a lot of people on social media were like still angry despite them winning that game with the way it went. But you win a road game without Key and Vesterby. I don't see anything to complain about winning an SEC conference game. I mean, yeah, they they could have played better, especially those first 10 minutes, but that didn't seem like that something to be mad about. And then the LSU stuff is just funny to me. Like you kill them in football in Baton Rouge. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then you do it in basketball. Like what you said about basketball is exactly probably what we said in October about that game. And then the baseball team goes there this spring to play in Baton Rouge for what will be a massive series. So really Tennessee could sweep LSU in, in all three major sports in Baton Rouge this season. And that is incredibly exciting. And then the storyline with Tennessee, Georgia and Mike White, you know, Danny White's brother, that's always interesting to me too. Like how does he feel? about that he's a competitive guy but family's family i think last year he never he never tweeted anything about the florida game and i think we all kind of gave him a hard time about that jokingly jokingly nobody has any shade at danny white he's been incredible for tennessee and a big reason they're even in this position in in most major sports and and even non-major sports but it's very some interesting storylines this week definitely um it is a little funny that Rick Barnes has just perpetually beaten the AD's brother. I don't know I mean, why Georgia hired him to begin with. But. I I don't either. I mean, it, it was an, he was going to get fired by yeah. Florida. He left and like found an out and went. And I mean, Georgia's standards for basketball are on the absolute, you know, basement floor. Their they standards for every sport but football, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably it's a thing that makes me feel not as bad about Georgia being so good at football, uh, but also something that annoys me because they are so good at football and then they just don't, you know, care at all. But regardless, uh, beat Georgia this week. That's all I got to say. Texas is a different thing. That's going to be a very, very tough game in Thompson bowling though. Should definitely win it. Um, But to, to move on to the part of this conversation that I did really want to have, I'll start here with Elias in the comments. He says, it feels good to be able to muse on the possibility that you could win a national title in basketball, baseball, and even football without sounding like an absolute lunatic at Tennessee. He said, we're in a bit of a golden age of youth athletics. That's absolutely true. And on that point, Wes Rucker, after that LSU just total annihilation, he tweeted out that the metrics, and he's not wrong about this. A lot of people were him and on about this and making fun of Wes. But he said that by the metrics, this is the best Tennessee basketball team in this century. So I, I since the 2000, year 2000. And as I said, the metrics love this Tennessee team. They are number two in Kim Palm right now, ahead of Alabama, uh, ahead of Gonzaga, ahead of all of the, uh, Purdue, like all of those, you know, powerhouse teams. And, uh, you know, the the metrics do say it all. Tennessee plays the elitist defense. It is it's the number one defense in America. It is, I mean, I saw Kim Palm talk about it at one point. It's one of the best defenses in the history of Kim Palm's 
ratings. I don't know exactly where it sits, but currently it is that. It's absolutely elite. The top end of the top end on defense for Tennessee. Um, on, on defense. And, yeah, you have that discussion. You look at the Grant and Admiral teams and some of the teams with Pearl, the one that made the Elite Eight, the one that uh, got to number one. And it's kind of a reductive conversation to me. Like, I don't want to sit here and be like, is this actually the number one team of the century for Tennessee? I mean, we're not even in February yet on this schedule. The metrics say it is. The numbers, which they're just numbers on a spreadsheet at this point. But it it is interesting to just look at how good this team is and talk about where they can go forward. Like that's It's a good starting point for the rest of the season because I... I don't think that there would be any excuses made, but there's no excuse for an early loss in March. There's no excuse for for not making a nice run, it, at least to like the semis in the SEC uh, tournament and things like that. It takes all of that away. This team, by the numbers, by the leadership, by the seniority on this team, by the depth on this team, they are one of the best teams that Tennessee has had in the modern era, period. I think you can say just that. So they need to go do something and going forward there's a lot that could happen but i think with this past week julian phillips turned a little bit of a corner zakai ziegler is becoming an absolute dude and those are the types of pieces that you have to have to make this thing a championship team so hopefully that happens yeah I get what Wes Rucker was saying. I know Grant Williams gave him a hard time about the tweet, but he kind of qualified it with, you know, if this team played any other Tennessee team in a seven-game series, he thinks that they they win. And, I like, I agree with that because of basically everything you just said. And I, I think people were kind of conflating that with, like, a tournament run because this team is prone to, like, cold shooting days, nights. We saw that against Kentucky. And that could be their Achilles. That could be ultimately what doesn't, you know, why they don't reach the final four. You know, it could be because they have another performance like that Kentucky game. But if they played the same team in a seven game series in like a baseball style format, I like their chances against anybody because I don't think they're going to have consecutive games like that. And then the defense is just so suffocating that I don't think it, anybody could score against them and win four games out of a seven game series. So, I know the tweet got a lot of attention and a lot of comments uh, going both ways, including, like I said, Grant Williams. But I agree with the premise of it and where he's coming from with that whole, you know, that whole tweet and everything he said. Yeah, it's not as outlandish as it seemed on its initial face. Yeah, there, like I, I saw some people being like, "If you think this team could be the Grant and Admiral team, you're dumb." But they could, but they could. I mean, they, they could be anybody. Absolutely, could yeah. be that team <laughs> for sure. Loyola Mary, not Loyola Mary, Loyola Chicago beat that team. This team could beat that Grand Admiral team on a, you know, on on any given night. Like, like basketball's a, a weird game in a tournament setting. I might like that team better because they could get hot and go on a run, you know, and, and they got the dudes like Grant Williams that could take over. But like Wes Rucker said, in a hypothetical seven game series, I I would take this current team. Yeah. I, those Grant and Admiral teams had far superior go-to scorers. I mean, Grant Grant was so clutch and borderline automatic when you got him the ball in the block. I mean, it was just crazy how good he was. He was also a better rebound. Like, Tennessee doesn't have the rebounding ability 
that that team had because Grant was just so smart at positioning. They were and he's great. still doing it in the NBA at the highest yes. level. I mean, he the way that he's carved out a spot in the NBA, it just goes to the point of how good he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of um, like Jawan Jennings in football. They, yes. they remind me a lot of each other. You always, you just kind of, you saw it and you were like, yeah, he'll figure it out. He'll figure out a way to, to make it work in the pros. And, but this, this team currently, I mean, Zakai Ziegler, I think by the time he leaves Knoxville will be one. I mean, he, frankly, he's already one of the best point guards that's played in, at Tennessee. It's not like Tennessee has some crazy storied history of great point guards. We look back at Jordan Bone on from that Grand Admiral team, and he, you know, we remember Jordan Bone because we know how his career ends. But I look at Zakai Ziegler now, and I think there's a very distinct possibility that he has a better career on the whole at Tennessee than Jordan Bone had. Um, I think he's possibly a, already a very comparable, if not better, shooter. I'd have to look at the numbers. Um but Ziegler, when he hones in and he's not turning the ball over and being kind of wild, he is so good. And and having, I mean, the the formula for college basketball is great play down low and an excellent point guard because then you can play inside out and facilitate and it stretches defenses. And if you have that formula, and I mean, you're an extremely, extremely hard team to beat. And Tennessee, at the top end of its ability, when it plays well, and it doesn't do that super consistently, this team has been more inconsistent than you would like. But at the top end of its ability, Zakai Ziegler is an excellent, excellent point guard. And then you add in the, the guard play of Vescovi and Key and uh, Josiah Jordan-James when he plays guard. They've actually been playing him at the four. But he, if you remember back, he came in as almost a point guard, weirdly. Um, but regardless, you, you throw all that in. The backcourt is all there. And then if you can get great play from Kama, from Adu, from the guys on the block, it's all there for this Tennessee team when you add in the best defense in college basketball. So it's every piece is there for this team to win a championship. But I do always go back to Rick has the record he has. He's not going to win it in March, period. And, you know, it's it's hard to avoid it never having that conversation. But as far as it goes with this team that's a fair question for for west to raise it's not outlandish uh even though even if he phrased it kind of funny (laughs) like uh but you know i think the place where that conversation should lead is that this team has what it takes to win a championship and they need to go do that and i hope they go do that so badly oh i hope Please. Yeah, I think if you don't get to a Final Four, I think people have every right to to feel let down. Uh, not really let down, but disappointed, bummed. Like, Final Four should be the goal. And this team, like, if you had to pick four teams right now to make the Final Four, just based on what we've seen this season, I think you would pick Tennessee. I mean, they're ranked, what, number four now uh, after this weekend. They have the defense. They have everything that you've talked about that that, that you need to be an elite team. So, yeah, I think if you don't get to the Final Four, it, it's a pretty big disappointment. Like, this is the team that can do it, and this is the team that Barnes can kind of erase all those questions about what he does in March. Like, he can make all of that go away. He doesn't have to win it all. Obviously, you want to win it all, but my philosophy has always been you get to the Final Four, that's all you can ask for for any any team that has national championship aspirations. Once you get to those last two games, anything can happen. They're really good game uh, teams that are in that Final Four Got to have a winner, got to have a loser. Kind of like 
Tennessee and Alabama play from here on out. Just because you lose that day game doesn't mean you're a bad team. They just got your number that day. And I think, uh, you know, if they don't get to that point, I can I can understand if there'll be a lot of frustration from fans. Yeah, and this one, I mean, Wayne, Wayne brings up the thing that probably pains me the most about this season is what about Kennedy Chandler? Mm. Boy, if, oh, if Kennedy Chandler played for this team and you had a guy playing like he is right now with Kennedy Chandler, with Vescovy, with Josiah Jordan-James now up in, yeah, I mean, Josiah Jordan-James played 30-plus minutes in that last game. That's that's the best backcourt in America, and it wouldn't even be close. Do you think Chandler would have uh, improved his draft stock any? Because I mean, no, he fell he fell to the early second round, right? He didn't he didn't go in the first round, which we thought that he or did he go late in the first round? I can't remember. No, sure I think now. it was the second round. He he was He's, always, his height his height he was is, always going to have that hurdle. He was always going to have the height hurdle. <laughs> no no pun intended there. Um. So I don't know, probably, because I mean, you just look at the makeup of this team. He would have been an absolute superstar with this squad. And I mean, he was already a superstar last season. At, at the end of that season, he was playing so well. But uh, uh, that's that is a bona fide national championship team if if Kennedy Chandler is here. Like you would you would have been at, at this point in the season. You I in my personal opinion, you would have been the betting favorite to win the national championship. And I don't think anyone would have argued with that in in how it plays out in my mind with him still on this roster and who, you know, who else uh, is is there around him. But oh, man, that's tough because you like you look at what Bama has this season with Brandon Miller, and I mean K- Kennedy is the the point guard version of that, like instant contributor, dropping in tons of points. So dynamic, so athletic, just brings the heat. And he's he's just sitting there on the bench in Memphis. <laughs> oh, you could have been playing right now. Why? Mm. Why? Ah, but what it could have showed, you know. Since it's the end of the show, um, did you see the uh, Grizzlies-Lakers game Friday night? Oh, yeah. And the whole Shannon Sharp debacle and all that happened there. And, of course, of course Dylan Brooks was in the middle of it because yeah. why wouldn't he be? Dylan Brooks is definitely that guy. He's a big time talker, uh, man. And just side note here: if you're not watching the Grizzlies right now, you are doing yourself a disservice. And and like yes. you're, if you're not loyal to another NBA team, the this team, much like Tennessee's basketball team, except really on an even bigger scale, this is a championship team that the Grizzlies have right now. I mean, they have like this third best record in the NBA at the moment. And they just came off of an 11 game winning streak. Um, and yeah, I mean, Dylan, Dylan Brooks, total talker. It made total sense that they were getting into it. Super weird from Shannon Sharp. And the thing that I obviously thought was funny, he's talking that, that ish from this, from, you know, court side. And the first person to come and confront him was Steven Adams, who is an absolute monster of a man. Uh, and I noticed in all of Shannon Sharp's post game talking, he yeah. didn't mention Steven Adams one time. He was like, I'll fight you. I'll fight this whole team. Not Steven Adams, but I'll fight the rest of you guys. And it, it was, uh, pretty apparent. It made me laugh, but I, yeah. I laughed so hard at his statement, uh, Shannon Sharp's statement at halftime to ESPN. Did you see it? I mean, I guess uh, you're kind of referencing the whole like, let me just read this real quick. I think people. <laughs> okay. This is from Shannon Sharp after he's got into it with with uh, 
Dylan Brooks and then John Morant's dad is, has been over there and Steven Adams, like you pretty much the whole Grizzlies team looked like they're ready to fight Shannon Sharp. I mean, they were really a close knit group. Shannon Sharp. They didn't want this smoke, Dave. They do all that talking and jockeying and I ain't about all that jockeying. It started with Dylan Brooks. I said he was too small to guard LeBron. He said, F me. I said, F you back. He started to come at me and I said, you don't want these problems. And then Ja came out of nowhere talking. He definitely didn't want these problems. Then the dad came and he obviously didn't want no problems, but I wanted anything they had. Don't let these fools fool you. See what see what's missing there? It, conspicuously. Poetry. Poetry. Yeah. There was no no mention of Stephen Adams. The who, primary guy that was the first to come over and say something. If you go back and watch that video, which it's all over social media, there's a little tiny guy. He's not even a security guard trying to hold Stephen Adams back. He's probably half Stephen Adams' height, and he was struggling. Stephen Adams doesn't even look at him. He just pushes his arm out, and the guy's flailing about. It was it was quite a scene. And I think he he's seven seven feet plus. Uh, you gotta you gotta make him. You gotta do something really to make him mad though, because he's been in some situations where I mean, Zach Randolph just straight up punched him one time uh, back in his <laughs> early days in the league, and he's just like, I remember that. All right, man, <laughs> let's go back to playing. <laughs> like it didn't bother him yeah. one bit. I, but I love that about that Grizzlies team in a general sense, dude. They're they're total trash talkers. As far as like my mentality goes, I am a big trash talker. For the folks who listen to the show, you know that well. Uh, I love it. I love it. Just like Patrick Beverly and and Damian were getting into it last night. I love it. It's so fun. Like and and the obviously the main thing is they talk all that trash and they go out there and they back it up. They they'll beat you. They almost came back last night from a 20 point deficit almost came back right at the very end and, and almost beat the Suns. It was just a little, it was at the Suns. It was just a little too much to overcome, but uh, yeah, I would like to see. So, I mean, Kennedy Chandler feels like he has not really been able to to do much at all there. He could have been the starting point guard for Tennessee this season. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Let me, let me make sure I have my, my talking points here. Oh, final thing. Manny Ramirez's kid. Oh, yeah. Commits to Tennessee baseball. Just throw that in right here at the end. You got Manny tweeting out a photo of like Tennessee Dude. stuff. Yes. He was one of my favorite players to I mean, I'm a baseball guy. He's one of my and I was never never a, a Cleveland fan or a Boston fan, but I, I always loved watching him play. I mean, he was he was exciting, right? And he was different. I mean, he you paid attention to him. He was always gonna do something crazy, whether it was a five hundred foot home run or just literally sitting down in the outfield or something like he was he's a different breed so and you know his son's got to be a legit baseball player i mean that dude was a great hitter yeah this uh hopefully he makes it to campus i mean that's the big thing um luca ramirez is his name and i mean he i think he's one of those candidates where it's like he may commit to you see what his his draft placement is and then bounce the MLB instead. Um, but if he does come, dude, that would be so awesome. Have Manny showing up the games and stuff. That's oh, so, yeah. so sweet. Uh, I mean, Tennessee's already like the most talked about college baseball team. And I'm sure other fans would be like, well, you know, LSU has the history or Arkansas or whatever. And I, I mean, that's true. I'd get that. But as far as like compelling college baseball teams, and the coverage that they get right now, it's Tennessee. You go look at 
they've had college coaches on MLB Network throughout the offseason doing interviews. And the one that Tony Vitello did has so many more views than any other coach that they did. I mean, that shows you how much interest there is in Tennessee baseball. And that's not just Tennessee fans. I mean, that's it's a national show. It, it's wild. And to think you put Manny Ramirez in the middle of that, they will be talking about him on MLB Network if he goes to Tennessee and plays there a lot so it's huge in a lot of different ways and and hopefully he does make his campus i'm not he's a 2024 kid so i'm not sure on his draft outlook obviously that don't have a lot to do with it but you know obviously he does he comes from a family that doesn't need the money so you don't know how that'll impact his plans either maybe he wants to go play college or maybe yeah. he wants to get straight to the mlb i don't know i don't know what his plans are but hopefully he does make it in just so we can see manny in the stands and supporting him wearing some orange he's just- they're just so uh, polarizing, Tennessee, and in, in the very best way, Tennessee baseball is, because it's they're either so so likable or so unlikable, hateable, you know. And it and it there was nobody who was just lukewarm on Tennessee baseball, especially last season. And it man, it's so great. I, I listened to to Vitello's interview that he did with Volquest a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, dude. This Did you see the team. picture of him floating around in the John Morant jersey this week? Yes, I retweeted that. I retweeted that, that. Maybe that's Love why I saw it on the timeline. It's it's the the, the king of Tennessee baseball respecting the, the king of Tennessee basketball. The state of Tennessee, not the University of Tennessee. <laughs> but um, the, in, the interview? The, yeah, so he he brought up, obviously, the, the main thing with this baseball team is the pitching. And he, you know, he said... That there's Drew Beam and uh, uh, who who are all of them uh, the the three it's uh, Burns and uh, is the, Dolander the, yeah Dolander right yeah. the best guy the the presumed pitcher of the year in the SEC Dolander and he goes you know the guy that people forget about is Seth Halverson he transferred to Tennessee and he was the Friday night starter for Missouri before he transferred here oh yeah I'm like God. This team is isn't a built Ben built. Joyce's brother coming back to play. Who isn't he? Re- ben Joyce's brother, twin brother, isn't? Isn't he back in the mix now? Because he had kind of quit baseball. Oh, maybe like he was returning, or like, uh, it's been quite a while since that uh, since that was going on. But I feel like that's the case. Zach Joyce is that his name? If somebody in the look. comments would know, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I mean, dude, this team, especially with the pitching. I mean, it's it's the best. It's an MLB lineup. <laughs> they they, had, they have an MLB bullpen essentially. Yeah. Then you got the the yeah the uh, the, the shortstop from Kansas that transmitted yep. or transferred. Alihona. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's all there. Obviously, we'll we'll talk about them more. Uh, Won't be long. Yeah, I think it's like twenty some odd days, twenty four days or something. God, so um, so cold whenever college baseball starts. Yeah. Yeah, Elias says February 17th, so whatever that is, however long that is. From now, uh, I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who watches and comments. You guys are are too awesome. You make this show uh, possible, and uh, we couldn't appreciate it more. Seriously, uh, thank you. And um, we'll pr- we'll have a midweek segment, I think. We're, we're figuring out. We don't might be a guest, might be just us. We'll see. Uh, but 
at Charlie Scores at Zach TNT, A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Do all of the, you know, you know what you know what to do. You're here. Thank you again. We will talk to y'all probably a little later this week. See you guys later.